Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So here we are. It's Chris and I, and today we're talking about one of the hot topics in dentistry and globally, which is recruitment. It is indeed a hot coal of a topic, a like a hot potato, because it's impacting big time, big time. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's no doubt it's it's really biting in dentistry. We, mm. we look at the numbers all the time, and we're starting to see um, salary costs team costs because obviously we look at the the current situation not just what appears in the financial accounts there's no doubt there's been a step up step up in terms of the pay particularly on the nursing side of things yeah yeah definitely and and it's in a way it's um it's it's probably a overdue equalization in a sort of bizarreness i mean you know when when you just look at uh, salaries you know you'll be paying six pound for a nurse or something mm. whereas now uh, people are saying right well i can go and work in tesco's or sainsbury's or or amazon is the yeah. latest one where i can basically have flexible working earn minimum wage uh, and they've got to compete mm. so uh, i think in a way it's probably is it overdue? I don't know. It's you know that, that's a another effect of COVID, isn't it? You mm. know, with the whatever it's the one and a half million people who disappeared. Yeah, um, yeah. It was interesting actually. I was I was reading an article and they said uh, that they reckon that partly wage inflation is caused by over fifties not wanting to work anymore. They were saying there's oh, really? a million people who uh, are over fifty who have taken the decision not to be employed anymore, and they said they think wow. it's a direct result of COVID. And them thinking, actually, but also I don't if need you think if you think about Amazing. the the experience that you I'm lose, lost, yes, these, are, these are people that have been working, you know, twenty, thirty years. They they know stuff that the younger people have yet to learn, and know that knowledge then doesn't get passed on. Mm. But also, I think whilst pay is being talked about a lot, particularly in the context of inflation and cost of living generally, but I also think that recruitment isn't just about pay. I think it's about the wider terms and conditions that you offer the team. Mm. I think it's about the culture and the environment that, that you have. Uh, we were talking to um, Nigel Wisner a little while ago, and he was saying, why do people work? And he distilled it down to, they want their needs to be met. Mm. That's the only reason they come to work, is to get their needs met. And if you then broaden it out, that means they want to earn an amount of money, because that meets their needs. But they also want to be in an environment and a culture that meets whatever their needs are. And if that's working yeah. with people who are like-minded, working towards a, a cause, serving patients yeah. within a dental practice. And I think if they've got a choice, I think that, you know, yeah, ultimately people work to get paid, don't they? And and if they can have all those other bits, then it helps. And I think in a way, that's what we're seeing. You know, we, we talk to practice owners, don't we? Mm. Anecdotally, the, the ones who seem to have created really good environments, mm. um, and and you know not just with what they provide for the staff as in you know well-being or you know trips out or whatever it might be but also just the practice itself what does it look like what personality does it have that seems to have a massive impact on people's uh, either decisions to join or to stay mm. um and that that's that's quite interesting because 
I don't know, 10 years ago. I'm not really too sure no. whether you had a nice staff room with a TV mm. or whatever would have made much difference. But you, said, you said to join or to stay. And I think recruiting new people is an issue. But I think people have to be really careful they don't leave the back door open mm. on the stay side of things mm. and make sure that the conditions are good for the people that work in the business. Mm. You know, some practices are having their, their team raided on. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah definitely. Um, corporates or local practices are approaching, you know, existing team members and trying to lure them away with the inducement of a higher, higher salary. And if your conditions are, well, I always believe that if somebody leaves a business, there's a push and a pull. Mm. I don't think you can genuinely pull somebody away from a business that they're happy to be in. Mm. So no. if they do leave, I always think there was something in that business that didn't work. Yeah. And actually, it, it might not work for the employer as well as the team member. It mm. might be a mutual thing. But if somebody leaves just because they got approached, I honestly don't believe that a, a genuinely happy person who was who'd bought into the culture and everything that business had to offer would leave. No, no. I think for, for me, one of the things that people need to think about with recruitment and with their team is if you have to recruit someone else, then there's a cost of recruitment, you know. Yeah. Is it either an advert or is it an agency? So mm. that's like a physical cost. Is there a cost of, or there will be a cost of someone actually interviewing those people, mm. reviewing the CV? So that's a cost that that doesn't actually appear on a PL, a profit and loss account, but it is a cost. No one's written a check for it. But also, if you lose, say, um, you lose a receptionist that's been there for 10 years for the sake of, 50p an hour because they can go somewhere else not only have you got to replace that but there's also the the cost yet again isn't on the profit and loss no one has written a check made a transfer whatever for that loss of experience which means that you've got to train that person Mm. get that experience you know and and let's say you know one of the most important jobs is the receptionist and the nurses not really probably the dentist you know the dentist is is the the deliverer but most of the other communication goes outside but the thing is you don't get to see the dentist <coughs> until you've got through mm. the reception so the receptionist if they're not doing a good job and other people who are patient facing before you get into a surgery mm. the patient may not even make the appointment well imagine losing it you know and, and i don't know and it's down to but imagine if you lost because you'd lost a receptionist you'd been there for 10 years you knew the staff and knew how the practice works you lost one tooth whitening case every month i'm uh, sorry every week mm. you know what could that be 300 500 pounds yeah so so you could be losing <laughs> two grand a month twenty-five thousand in a year. lost revenue which is a cost of recruitment mm. but it it's not, you don't actually fit, see it as a cost because you're not spending no. money, but you've lost a revenue. Mm. And I, I think one of the things people need to look at is is a bit wider than just my hourly rate. Mm. But also I think on the recruitment side of things, it's kind of old world thinking to think that as an employer, you kind of sit in judgment and, and decide whether you're going to give somebody a job or not. Mm. I think the, the, the books have been balanced. If, if not, they're in the other direction. And I think... Employers now need to very much sell what they're about, you know, expose their culture, be really honest about the sort of business they are mm. to make sure that you get a mutual fit. Because not only do people have choices of where to work, but that point that you were saying about if you employ somebody and it doesn't work out, that's painful. You've incurred costs, you've, you've put them through a training plan and then they don't fit. Whereas 
if you're really upfront about what sort of business you are at the mm, beginning and yeah. talk about your culture, say, you know, we, we work hard, we do long hours or we have fun or, you know, there's certain things that aren't negotiable. Mm, mm. I think people should talk about those things at the interview stage because just because that doesn't work for that person doesn't mean you're a bad person or doesn't mean that you're not a good employer. You just weren't compatible and they're going to have a happy job mm. somewhere else. But the earlier you can find that out, the better. Because going through that thing of, you know, people not making it through their probation is what, painful. Well, that fit thing, I think, is so, so important. Because, you know, you employ the wrong person. And that, that, as you say, it's not like they're bad, but they don't get it. Yeah. And the answer is, you, you might take three months f to find that out. So that's three months of potentially lost opportunities to employ people who did get it. It's a cost because they might not want to be. They might become a saboteur. I always remember when we worked in the bank once, one of the things that we were, we were trained to do was to say to, to some non-performers or underperformers, um, do you actually want this job? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't meant to be like a git, but it was, I can remember avidly, we had some lady who worked for us and she was brilliant, really brilliant. Mm -hmm. And we gave her this job and she was completely useless at this job. And, um, you know, we'd have performance reviews and she'd still be useless at the job. And, and eventually we said, do you actually want this job? And she said, no, I hate this job, really hate this job. So we said, oh, okay, so let's give you another job, so good which she loved, in the wrong job. and she was brilliant yeah. again. It was only the fact of we'd sort of done this stupid thing of thinking that she'd be great, gave her a job she didn't enjoy, she badly performed. Fortunately, we were able to pull it back, but the risk could have been yeah. that she just left. Because but, but no think, one asked her. I think even you can take it down to a smaller level and you can look at the individual tasks within people's jobs because there might be somebody's task might be doing credit control and they really dislike that, mm. almost to the point where they hate having to ask people for money. Somebody else may actually quite enjoy that. So just by rejigging what people's responsibilities mm. are, may make their quality of life and their experience at work so much better. Mm. Yeah, if, if Just say you had to do it's credit Rizna. control. It's Rizna it with is. a zoo. Yeah. You know, we, and, we've heard it by other ones. And you, you didn't want to do that and suddenly that got taken off you and you took on something that you did enjoy. But also going back on the recruitment side, I think there's two things where, and I put ourselves in this category that, that we all tend to get wrong, is I think we only ever look for people when we have a position to be filled. Mm. I think when a position becomes vacant, we then place an advert or we engage with an agency. And the second thing that we do is we kind of limit ourselves to people that are within a certain pool of experience. And I think the way that you can resolve both two, those two issues, I think one, I think you should probably be looking for good people all the time. Mm -hmm. So rather than wait for the need, you're constantly advertising so that you've got this inflow of good yeah. people all the time to see is it a good fit and also a pool of potential candidates yes and then i think the second part is on the um so yeah so you've got the the looking for people all the time and on the second part i think it's what's the second part <laughs> the second part was the second part uh, i can't was, remember no 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 i do i do <laughs> i do it was looking out so sorry yeah so um i think you should definitely advertise all the time and then be bold and look for people outside of your profession. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were talking about that. So yeah. rather than... Well, we did the same with us, didn't we? We used yeah. to employ people that, you know, how many people have knowledge of what we do? It's like super limited. Yeah. So we just then decided we'd find good people. Mm. And I think if you do that, you then start to be able to hire for attitude, not skill. Mm. 
So I know there's a lot of talk about are certain people from the hospitality industry um, well set up and geared to work front of house in dental practices, and you'd argue yes, they are. Mm. You know, they're so I think people are getting wiser looking outside mm. of the the traditional sector, and if they've got the right approach and attitude, you can probably train them. If you think within a dental practice environment, everybody in the dental practice understands dentistry. Yeah. So arguably, you don't need somebody else that understands dentistry. You need somebody with the right attitude. Uh, yeah, you, and then you can train train the bit into. Well, you don't really need to understand dentistry as a receptionist. Do you? you know, you understand. You know, not about the clinical dentistry. You just need to understand people and what you offer. Yeah, and and uh, as we've always said, you know, whether it be in our own businesses or in businesses that we've managed before, um, you can't teach some of that stuff. No, you can teach some of the skills. It's hard work, but you know, you, you you can't turn. One of the things that always annoys me with that, you know, the old SWOT analysis. You know, you turn a weakness into a strength, and I always believe uh, that, that you'll never make a weakness not a weakness. It will always be a weakness. All you can do is make it less weak. Yeah, it's never going to become a strength, is it? Because because no. that's the way our personalities are. But I think that's the same sort of thing of identifying who does what and what you want within your business. And I think it works the same with sort of associates and stuff like that, really. You know, we're talking about front of house or the nurses, but the associates, you know, the same sort of thing. You know, if you think the number of people we've seen where they've, uh, you know, they've only ever been in an NHS practice and and all they've done is done the UDAs and then they want to go to a, to, to a nice high end private practice. And it's almost like, well, I'm not saying you can't do it, but maybe you need to do a, a sort of transition phase to make sure that you can do it because mm. it's a different set of skills. It's like going into McDonald's or going into Galvin's. You know, they 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 all sell food. They both sell food, but they are a very different oh, yeah. um, exposure yeah. and requirement from the team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think also being being bold if you've got somebody and it's it's not working. Um, you know, speak to that person, and if if it's not improving, be bold and, and move that person on. Because yeah. if it's not working for you, it, it, it most likely isn't working for that that team mm. member. I think back to Jack Welch, the um, <laughs> I was going to say it's a- the CEO of of General Electric, where he had that um, that box in quadrants, and he had A, B, C, and D, and A's were people who got the culture and were performing. Um, you want A's all day long. B's were the people who were they got your culture, but they weren't performing. There was mm-hmm. something about their 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 behaviour. They just weren't getting the results. Those people most likely just need training because mm-hmm. they get what you're trying to do at a yeah, higher level. Yeah. They're just not they're not delivering. So those people you train, the D's, they don't get your culture. And they're not performing. So <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> they are. They 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 shouldn't be there. The C's are the really tricky one. So these are people who don't get your culture, but they're performing. And quite often people think about footballers and sports people in teams mm. where you get these outliers who are incredible people but just don't buy into the the, the the team ethos those ones are quite challenging because from a numbers point of view when you produce your profit and loss they add significantly because they're producing a big growth they're getting a profit but they're always upsetting receptionists and patients and nurses mm. they're just grumpy people to be around and it's just not working it's quite a big decision to take a, a high earner yeah out of the equation but they're not getting the culture and my view on it is if they don't get your culture that's probably not going to change and as time goes on as you get stronger and you move off in your direction 
you, you could end up with this divergence where they're going off in a, in a different direction. Well, the danger is, isn't it? If you if you've got someone, you know, who, not quite a saboteur, but in a way Close to, that that yeah. sort of their that uh, attitude and and the way they deliver. The risk is, isn't it, that that you know, five years down the line, they're the only person left standing because everyone else in your business has left because they were mm. so flipping annoying and you couldn't work on with them. And I think because I think also. As a manager, sometimes you have to make those bold calls. Yeah. You know, you only have to look at football is probably a, a great example. Yeah. You know, the, the the managers that you know of, whether it be uh, Alex Ferguson or Jurgen Klopp or Arsene Wenger, there were times when they benched people yeah. for attitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a really ballsy move. You know, you have to be super confident to say, actually... Mm. You're you're not fulfilling because also I think that sends a massive message to your team as well, doesn't it? Because it sort of says, look, we're not going to accept second best. No. So either either you get with the program or you go. Well, Christian Horner, um, the the head of the Red Bull Formula One racing team, he always says that if you don't buy into the culture, there's no place for you. And mm. he also says, which I really like, he says a pat on the back is six inches away from a kick up the ass. <laughs> and I think if you've got credibility as a leader and you're respected by your team, you can, could, and should be able to have those hard conversations. Because it's not it's not about, you know, they might have done something wrong, but you're not being critical of them. What you're saying is mm. we can do better. Yeah. We, as a business, we know what we can achieve. We know the margins we can hit. That that didn't work. And it was a, it was a disappointment, a collective disappointment, mm. as opposed to me pointing a finger at you and saying, well, you got it wrong, fix it. It's mm. a, how did we not get it right? Mm. But going back to your non-performer, unless you're authentic, the, the, the risk is, isn't it? Like, so, so you've got a team, you've got uh, an associate or a nurse or a receptionist, whoever it is, is is in that C group, you know, the one who performs, yeah. which doesn't get it. So, so you don't address the issue with them, but then someone else has another issue. So you address the issue with them. The team sit there and go, well, hang on a minute. So, so that person who's the C, you don't do anything. Me, I've been great. And and you you give me a hard time, so it therefore that, a leadership team. yeah, it puts puts you as a as a leader into to you know under pressure. Almost like you're not authentic, and then therefore, why should I listen to you? Because you're not being genuine. And then that strikes to the core of the culture, and that's where the culture starts to fracture. And yeah, people feel not sure that they're working in the right place. And and going back to that point about you know, I think people. Um, change their work environment with a push and a pull mm. that would be a classic example where that would be a push away from a business could you say mm. well, hold on, this isn't fair yeah it's not i want fair. to work in a fair, fair. environment right, it's yeah. not fair and okay the, the prospective person you're talking to you don't know but you do know the environment you're in isn't fair mm. so you might chance your luck and go somewhere else it's a hard time there's no doubt mm. about it holding on to people getting people it's not easy but i think there's a lot of things as business owners we can all do to make sure that we create the best environment possible for our teams in place now mm. and also make it attractive so that when we're looking for new people yeah we've got something special to and offer. as you say it's not money is it you know we had uh, i remember again you know my bank was brilliant or one of my banks in in the training and one of the guys said to us said you know you can't uh, feed chocolate cake to everybody because guess what not everybody likes chocolate cake and he's yeah. he's dead right you know you need to you need to work out what are the things that person 
wants because yeah. it might be more time off it might yeah. be more money it might be chocolate cake it might be i don't know whatever it could be but but you can't have um sort of almost like a shotgun approach to managing your team that i'm gonna i'm gonna treat everybody exactly the same because that's a, I think really, also that's a really multifaceted it. matrix isn't it to make sure that you are dealing with people on a mm. individual one-to-one yeah. basis to make sure you're getting the best out of them but it takes time it does and i think you know when you look at what a dentist does uh, they have so many hats that they wear. And it's a big investment. Yeah. And it's not a go on a course, come back Monday morning <laughs> and say, this is how it's now going to be. I'm now going to be a brilliant HR manager. Yeah, it needs, it needs to be ongoing. Oh, but I've got to be a dentist, which is 95% of my day. Yeah, yeah. Challenging, challenging. Very, very hard. Yeah. But no, interesting conversation. Yeah, brilliant. Recruitment. Oh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.